loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking lesbians, we're talking Brazilians, and we're talking two separate movies. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And yes, but this is one of my favorite double features that isn't really a double feature. Yeah. <laughs> this ain't Death Proof or uh, Planet of Terror, right? Ooh, but you know what, though? Comparisons to Death Proof would be accurate because that is also kind of two movies, even though it's like two of the same movie back to back. That is true. Yes. Although this is now just making me want to watch Death Proof. So, yeah, we're talking about Good Manners from 2017. And in case people have not watched it, this is your major, major spoiler warning. We are going to spoil the fuck out of this movie like normal. But unlike a lot of the other films it's really best to go in knowing as little as possible. I agree. This was my second time watching it. When I first saw it at Fantastic Fest, which was almost two years ago to this day, I had no idea what it was about. Like, I'd seen the poster, which is, you know, the little hand with the little paw holding each other, and I honestly didn't pay any attention to it. And so watching this two-hour and 15-minute movie, because this is <laughs> a two-hour and 15-minute movie, I yep. was enthralled the whole time because I didn't know where it was going. Yes. Watching it... Now, I was very much aware of how long it takes to get going, but I was still compelled by the relationship between the two leads that it didn't bother me. <laughs> but I was still aware, like, you know, if you weren't into that, then it's going to feel like a very slow movie. I agree 100%. I do think you and I have a slightly different opinion on how effective the, I mean, I'm making air quotes right now, how different the two films in this case were. Mm -hmm. There's one movie for about an hour and what, a half? And then there's a second shorter movie after a time jump. And uh, I feel like your mileage may vary. The flash forward takes place at the hour and nine minute mark. Okay. It felt longer, and it yet does. I wanted the first part to keep going. That's my quick take. I don't disagree with you. I do like the second part, but because I hate kids, I was more <laughs> into <laughs> I was more into the first part and the and again, the queer romance which you lose at the hour part of this movie. Yes. And once again, spoiler because <laughs> we yes. have been dancing around what this movie is actually about and we've been dancing around what propels that seven-year time jump so last chance if you haven't seen the film track it down now yeah so last chance i'm gonna tell you all exactly what the spoilery part of this movie is and in my review when i reviewed it two years ago i literally said in my first paragraph this movie's great i'm giving it a four and a half out of five don't read the rest of this review because it was a festival review so like no one could watch it and right. I didn't want to tell people, like, what kind of movie it was. Yeah, and you were the only person who did that, so kudos to you. Exactly! Every those review, other yeah. fuckers, man. <laughs> so every other fucker, and again, if you have not watched this movie, do not look it up, do not watch a trailer, do not read a review, just find a outlet that you can watch it. And Trace, where is that in the States right now? You can stream it for two ninety nine on Amazon Prime. I think you can also get it on YouTube. It's under Good Manners, but in Brazil, which is where this is from, it's um, As Boas Maneiras. Nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> oh, sorry. Thank you! <laughs> <laughs> Take that compliment, bitch. Take that compliment. 
So the big thing with this film is that every little detail will spoil it. And at the end of the day, if you do know what the film is about, it's not as though you can't enjoy it. I knew exactly what it was. I didn't know mm-hmm. that there was a time jump. So that was kind of a pleasant surprise. But yeah. at the same time, it's a great film regardless. But I think if you don't know where it's going, it would be that much more impactful. So, yeah. It's a werewolf movie. This is a secret werewolf movie. Yes. <laughs> and I did not know that going in. Oh, hold on. It's so weird. He normally only does that when someone's cooking because Butters hates the oven. Like, I don't know why. He doesn't like people cooking. Oh. Maybe they heard the word werewolf and they thought, oh, that's a dog-related thing. I should be in this room. Clearly. <laughs> okay, but yes. So, no, but when I saw this movie, I had no idea where it was going. Probably around 40 minutes in when she's, like, marking the full moon. Right. That's when you really do start to realize it. But honestly, looking back, I feel like I didn't realize it until it clawed its way out of Anna's stomach. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay, well, no. To be fair, I almost didn't go see this movie. It was a fantastic fest, and I was really tired, and it was a midnight movie. And I'd been at the movies all day, and I also went to a press screening, so I'd been at the theater since 8 a.m. Yeah, it's a long day. Yeah, and so I'm going to this midnight movie, and I'm like, it's two hours and 15 minutes. I don't really know much about it. I was like, you know what? (laughs) Fuck it. I'm I'm going to... So my brain was not super aware, and I wasn't even planning on reviewing it until I watched it, and I was like, oh, I have to review this movie. Good call. So that's what this movie is. And so many reviews said werewolf movie. And it's like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the film does not announce it early on. And it definitely feels like these reviewers just don't trust. I mean, I appreciate the fact that it's a difficult film to talk about without spoiling. But at the same yeah. time... It's a kicker when it happens. So to take that away from somebody and have them just looking for clues, which was more or less my viewing experience for a first-time watch. Right. Again, it doesn't diminish it, but there's a reason that they don't announce up front, like, hey, I'm carrying a werewolf baby in this belly. Ooh, and we'll get to how they reveal... I guess really the... (laughs) It's not even like the the full circling the full moon, but it's her flashback. Yes. How she got private. Anyway, we'll get to it. And I did also want to point out, and everyone's going to laugh at me, this is our third week of Femme Fatale Month, and as Joe rightfully pointed out to me last night after we watched this movie, it's a bit of a stretch to include, because it's not really about evil women or an evil woman, despite the fact that a woman does sleepwalk and eat a cat. Yes, and she does give another woman some very dangerous-looking scratches and bites, so yeah, it's a stretch, but we'll allow it. And also, it's our fucking month, so... <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, Joe programmed it and I didn't object because I remembered more stuff with the women, I guess. But I guess because that's the best part of the movie. Right. Which is why I was like, this is a good fit, right? It's about a lesbian werewolf relationship where presumably they're going to, you know, eat a bunch of eat men. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, what's that little kid doing here? But little do you know, it's not only a secret werewolf movie, but also kind of a secret pro-life movie. So anyway, this was officially released in the States on July 27th of 2018. So we're looking at a little over a year old now. Released by Distrib Films, which I thought was a typo at first, but it's... (laughs) (laughs) You'd be forgiven for thinking that. (laughs) Yeah. And it was only released in one theater, number 79, rank, and it made $2,476. It only ended up going to four theaters, 
and it made almost $32,000 in the States. Right. So people will be forgiven if you had not heard of this film, if you have not seen this film before now. <laughs> like that generous reviewer said a couple of months back when people were still leaving us reviews. Get on that, people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the person who said, oh, they're just trying to earn their film credentials by recommending all these random foreign films. Guess what? People were doing it again. Seek this film out if you haven't. It was street cred. We're trying to hold up our street cred by yeah, picking oh, right. obscure yes. foreign films. Did you pick up your street cred badge? Because mine was supposed to come in the mail and it never arrived. I definitely don't have mine. But that person, <laughs> I think, did give us five stars despite the fact that they left us like a weird review. I'll so, yeah. fuck take you it. and also thank you. <laughs> ah, yes. The old fuck you, thank you review. Fuck you, thank you. So, yes. um, <laughs> Reception... <laughs> Reception of this movie was very overwhelmingly positive from critics. Now, I, I don't think it had a ton. I didn't see how many reviews it had, but I, I'm pretty sure it was less than 100. Probably less than 50, actually. But I'm um, looking at a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes with an Ooh. average score of 7.1 out of 10. Nice. Yes. And your audience score is a 67% with a 3.75 out of 10, which is... A little bit lower, but, I mean, I didn't read the summary on Rotten Tomatoes or anything, but I wonder if people, like, because it's a secret werewolf movie, right? if people, like, walked into it either being taken aback by the werewolf, or if people knew it was going to be a werewolf movie, but then when it's an hour of romance, they were then turned off by it. Let's see. It says here... Good manners adroitly juggles disparate tonal shifts while taking a uniquely smart and sensitive look at female relationships. Oh. That's hmm. kind of true, but also For not. a bit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, then on that, on that note, why don't you run us through what the actual plot is? Okay. So I did express concern last week that I was going to make once again an ass of myself in this, but then I remembered Spanish and French are actually quite close, so I'm feeling relatively confident about most of these names. <laughs> I'm going to correct you, though, because it's not Spanish. God damn it. It's Portuguese. <laughs> it's, in uh, uh, it's in Brazil. They speak Portuguese there. Right. Have I mentioned on the podcast that in Canada, we don't have geography classes? <laughs> well, no, it was actually really, because no, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, it's a South American continent, uh, continent, it's a South American <laughs> country. <laughs> We're both terrible. <laughs> I know. A lot of South America does speak Spanish, but Brazil is specifically Portuguese. And okay. it was so funny because listening to them speak, because Portuguese and Spanish do actually share a lot of similarities, but there are brief differences. Maybe it is kind of like a Spanish and French mixture. I don't know. Hmm. This is a French co-production. Well, that makes sense then. Okay. So the thing that got me, because <laughs> they're, they're, the way they say goodnight, it's like bonoit. And I was like, that sounds so familiar. And then I was like, bonoit, Jamie. Bonoit, Jamie. Where have I heard that before? Benoit Jamie and I was playing it over and over my head while I'm watching the movie and I was like oh it's the Portuguese lady in love actually <laughs> who's, oh, who's who God, falls in right. love with Colin Firth because <laughs> his name is Jamie I've seen love actually so many times that that line is like imprinted on my brain <laughs> I had no idea where you were going with that so the look on my face <laughs> was so quizzical what there's no Jamie character in this movie <laughs> No, oh, I know. In love, actually. Yes, now I'm catching on. <laughs> and that's actually how I figured out that they were speaking Portuguese. Because I was like, oh, it's the same as that lady, that Portuguese lady in love, actually. Yes. Anyway, Portuguese, but yes, similar to Spanish. Go ahead. 
<laughs> Sidebar. I love that that's your exposure to Portuguese. Love, actually. Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't think they offer that as a language in the States, actually. That's surprising to me. Well, I, th- I think it's... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea why. I assume that South American languages would be very popular in the States, considering... Oh, wait, never mind. You're just trying to build a wall to keep them all out. Right. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> Fuck. Moving on. So, before I start this plot summary, a spoiler. As we mentioned already, there's a cat that dies in this movie. It's not particularly oh. gratuitous, but it is upsetting if you like animals. There is a sound, the sound of the neck breaking, that's pretty intense. Yeah. So, a warning for people who did not listen to our spoiler warning. If you plan to seek out this film, you will see a cat die. Yeah. Okay. Down on her luck, Clara, Isabel Zua, lucks into a job as a nanny housekeeper for Rich Anna, Marjorie Estania. No, Estiano. There we go. Marjorie Estiano. 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 Now I just, now I sound Italian. Hey, you're literally sounding out the vowel, so... Jesus, we're back to this. <laughs> Normally, the J in Spanish is a ha huh sound. I don't know if it's the same in Portuguese, but it would be like Marjorie Estiano. Marie Estiano. Okay, so you're doing the French thing. That's how you do it. <laughs> it's because in Canada, we are told to roll up the rim to win to win Tim Hortons gifts at least a couple times a year. So that's why we all roll ours. So for Clara, you're looking at Isabel Zua, because a Z is a S. It's an S sound in Spanish. But again, it's Portuguese, so I could be totally off, but it's Isabel, because the accent's on the E, Sua. Right. Okay. I don't know Marjorie, but then it's Estiano. And then Miguel Lobo. Okay. For Joel. Yeah, that one I feel like I can mostly handle. <laughs> it's fine. Just just, just speak in a, your Canadian accent. It's fine. Right. That. <laughs> okay. So all you need to know, Clara gets a job working for Anna, who is pregnant with her first child. Clara immediately moves in, and the pair settle into an uneasy friendship with some mild flirtation. On her birthday, Anna gets drunk and reveals that she is estranged from her family because she refused to have an abortion. After returning home from the gay bar one night, Clara is hungrily licked, kissed, and eventually bit and scratched by a sleepwalking Anna, though in the morning the pregnant woman seemingly has no memory of the encounter. Clara notices that Anna's odd behavior seems to be aligned with the lunar cycle, so they immediately have sex. (laughs) (laughs) They do. That was a lot funnier in my mind. But it just like, when you notice that there's something very off about your employer, and you're obviously mildly intrigued by it, I don't know that your first reaction should be, let's fuck. So two things. One, there is a severe lack of communication from Clara and everyone else in this movie. She doesn't tell anyone anything, and it's really fucking frustrating. (laughs) Well, she's very withdrawn. Well, and she thinks she's protecting them. She's, like, very motherly, but, like, in a bad way. Two. We're going to get therapist trace in this episode, aren't we? You're going to talk all about communication and how healthy it is. Well, no. It's a plot point in movies that I really hate. Like, she eventually does tell Anna stuff, but then even with Joel, I guess we'll just call him Joel. Fuck it. Whatever. Yeah. It frustrated me a lot more on this viewing. But anyway, sex scene... Very tasteful, and it reminded me of the sex scene from The Perfection. Yes, I wouldn't have called it tasteful, but I guess considering the level of graphic that they're working with, it is tastefully done, but it's still quite erotic. Yeah, well, yeah, it didn't feel exploitative to me. Right. But 
there's some major fingering going on like major yeah, fingering yeah there is on. that's why <laughs> that's why i was like would we say near full hand into the valley oh, yeah it's almost fisting it could be fisting <laughs> i'm not 100 percent sure the angle of the hand i don't think really lends itself to fisting but it could have been a fist yeah, I mean, if there's lesbians in the audience and you have not made a gif of that sex scene, you're not living your full life right now because some steamy shit going on in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they immediately have sex. In the middle of the night, Clara follows Anna outside where she eats a cat. Because at this point, she's been told repeatedly that she has high blood pressure and it's not good for the baby for her to consume meat, but she obviously is craving it. So, Ooh. yeah. I just want to point something out that really grossed me the fuck out, and it wasn't her eating the cat, but it was it was the first shot of Anna putting meat in the fridge. Oh, yeah. There was, like, you know, the watery blood, like, on the bags, and mm -hmm. they put the meat just on top of a yogurt carton, yeah. and I was like, It's <laughs> 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 so gross. That's not safe. That's how you contaminate the yogurt. Yes, cross-contamination. I don't care that the yogurt's not open yet. It's getting in there. I don't care. <laughs> so gross. This movie is really beautifully shot, and I started to keep track of a number of really visually compelling sequences or shots. And one of the ones that I really liked was this repeated visual motif of Clara putting in or removing things from the fridge. But there's a moment mm -hmm. later where she's told she can't serve Anna any more red meat. So she takes yeah. all of those bags with the blood dripping off them. She takes them mm -hmm. out, and then she just gives it a white. And then she puts yeah, down a like one stock. <laughs> <laughs> no disinfectant. <laughs> I think it was romaine lettuce. That was that was too leafy to be celery. Wow, way <laughs> to get fucking nitpicky, <laughs> Jesus bitch. <laughs> that was that was my review. Actually, I was talking about the romaine lettuce. Scintillating. <laughs> Not really. That, that was a joke, but it's okay. fine. Okay. Anyway, continue. Anyway, so she, anyway, she kills the cat. Yes, so she kills and eats the cat. So Clara tests this theory that something is going on with Anna where she is craving meat by adding blood to Anna's next meal. And of course, Anna voraciously devours it and says that she's an amazing cook and all this other gross stuff. When confronted with the truth, Anna gets very upset because she actually has no awareness of what is happening to her. And we find out in an animated storyboard flashback Basically, we get the story behind Anna's pregnancy, which is that she had sex with a priest named, oh God, Georges um, Mario. Georges Mario. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just move on from that. Who turned into yep. a wolf afterwards and she ended up shooting. She didn't realize that the wolf was the man that she had just had sex with. And then the next day she goes to the church and the priest has his arm in a sling and there's also a mention later on that one of the reasons her family was estranged from her is because of stories told about her on the internet. So it's a bit of a dropped storyline, which I wish had gotten a bit more attention, but you're meant to assume that she tried to tell people and this man, this priest, publicly denounced her on the internet. No, 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 no. A laughingstock? That's... No, am I reading this wrong? No, that's not what I got because she was engaged to someone. And what I heard or read, I guess, because it's subtitles, is that basically she told her fiancé, because she cheated on the fiancé with this guy. Um, oh, I didn't realize he was a priest, okay. though. 
And basically, you know, she went back to him and she was pregnant and, and he said, well, cool, get an abortion and we'll be good. And she wouldn't do it. And so right. he, her fiance, went and like publicly shamed her online. That does make sense because in my original notes, I did have something about a fiance, but then it didn't ever get addressed again. So I thought maybe I had misread it. It's very brief. It's a very like one, like it's like a brief scene between Anna and Clara. And for some reason going into it, I had remembered her being like a famous actress, which isn't the case. She's just from a wealthy family. Yes. You're right to have thought so because she talks at one point about how she doesn't want to be in the limelight. She doesn't want people to be paying attention to her. And then she also has that scene with the friend in the shoe store. Yes. She's treated very badly, but then she acts as though, well, how come she doesn't want to talk to me? She gives off airs of being famous. And she makes it clear that where she is now, though, isn't where she's from. Yeah. Because her dad, like, sent her there to get the abortion, and she wouldn't do it. And so... Which is also why she's financially impoverished. Or she's in trouble financially. Yeah, because her card keeps declining. Yeah. Which, by the way, that whenever that happens in a movie, it always stresses me out. Like, I get really anxious when people's credit cards get declined. <laughs> oh, really? I don't know why. I just feel so bad for them. Oh, this harkens back to our Patreon episode about empathy, where you feel for them. Do you also then project yourself into them and think of how uncomfortable you would be yes because i think that is one of the most embarrassing and uncomfortable situations you could be in worst case in like a grocery store too yeah that's actually happened to me so yeah i empathize with that anyway continue okay yeah so we we get this beautifully animated flashback and we get a bit of history about how anna got pregnant so Time passes. The latest ultrasound reveals that the child is massive. The doctor is quite concerned about the size of the fetus. And then that night, a baby werewolf bursts out of Anna. People, this gross. scene is fucking shocking. <laughs> it is. No, no. Because honestly, because you have the shot of the shape of the claws in the belly. But like before you even have time to process what's happening, her belly bursts open like full alien yeah. style full alien style and i thought that it was a dream sequence nope it, it is really not happened. a dream sequence because then clara walks in and she just looks well i mean she doesn't really get hysterical she just looks horrified and immediately yeah. you realize oh shit anna's dead <laughs> and she's like breathing barely and her hand is kind of moving but she's not coming back from this <laughs> no I did text Trace offline and said, why is she kissing her lover when she should be calling 911 and getting an ambulance there? I know it's probably not 911 in Brazil, but why is she not <laughs> calling someone and saying like, hello, something has happened to my very pregnant girlfriend. She has a giant gaping vagina hole. <laughs> yeah. So she looks and she sees the thing. Yeah, so there's a little baby werewolf with an umbilical cord wrapped around its neck. And Clara initially looks like she doesn't want to touch it, but then she eventually takes the cord off. And then we cut and we see Clara. She packs up all of her shit. She's got the baby with her. She goes out to the canal or the river and she looks as though she's going to leave the baby on the side. And then she goes to walk away and it starts to cry and she goes back for it. Then she takes the baby I will home. tell you right now, if there's some little baby werewolf that just killed my partner, 
intentionally or not, because obviously this is an unintentional crime, that baby's getting left in the, in the grass. Like, I, I don't care how much it's crying, it's done. It's, it's, it's in the grass. God, right-wingers <laughs> are going to come after us. <laughs> also, just considering the fact, as we're about to move into the second half of the movie, how much fucking trouble this kid is. Like, oh, she has yeah. to go through so much and sacrifice so much just to make sure this kid can, like, be raised, quote-unquote, normally. It's, mm-hmm. oh, man, I could not do that. I mean, she's a saint. Yeah, she really is. I mean, this is basically the story of a put-upon woman who never really has anything for herself, picks up other people's problems, and just gets into a pile of shit for it. Yeah. Like, it's basically a Greek tragedy for this one character. Well, until the ending, because the... Well, we'll we'll get there. Mm. Just continue. Continue your story. Okay, so she attempts to Read it like a fairy tale, because that's what this is. (laughs) It is. This is a goddamn fairy tale, even though you wouldn't know it from any of the conversation we've had about it so far. (laughs) Well, I did want to point out that, and you might have seen my note on this, but um, the directors found inspiration in early Disney animated features, particularly Sleeping Beauty, which is why you see so many of the painted backdrops, and the music is, uh, even towards the end, there's a lot of choral music. It's very reminiscent of that 1950s Sleeping Beauty movie. It's gorgeous, too. It's Mm -hmm. very much evoking not just films of the 1940s, not just that Disney aesthetic, but also a kind of dream, like like a sleepwalking, like a lucid dream kind of aesthetic. It's very gorgeous. And it changes as the film goes on. The beginning of the movie is like a very bright, sunny, you know, colors everywhere type thing. And then once the werewolf stuff comes in, then you get your kind of dark, moody, but not scary nighttime settings. True. So I just reviewed the 10-year anniversary of Grace, which is another monstrous baby baby mama movie (laughs) child. And they share a couple of similar shots where you get to see some some tit trauma because the baby is nursing and biting and leaving bleeding marks on the mother. But that film also does a similar thing with the aesthetic where things start and they're super shiny and bright and everything seems lovely. And then by the end of the film, everything's just squalor and dark and gross. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, motherhood is shit, is what these movies are saying. If you have a precious little child, good on you, but apparently these movies are telling us that being a parent is absolute garbage. I will tell you, if there was ever a tiniest part of me that wanted to have a kid, this movie or Grace would make me say, "Mm, never mind, I'm good. Yeah, it's going to be a no for me, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right, second half of the movie. (laughs) Yes, so that is basically the first movie. And then we flash forward seven years, and this werewolf baby is now a seven-year-old child named Joel, who is played, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, by Miguel Lobo. And Lobo means wolf in Portuguese. Which is hysterical, because that is his real name. (laughs) I know. <laughs> Unless he had a Dinah Lohan stage mom who was basically oh saying, oh, we're going to change your last name so that you can get this role as a baby werewolf. Dina Lohan. Sure. That's oh, a joke God. that will pay off. In two months. <laughs> Did we mention we're okay. recording these out of order? Yeah. Yeah. So, Joel, seven years old. Clara is now exceedingly overbearing. So Joel is on a strict diet of no candy, no meat. She's locking him up in this hidden room that she has behind a bookcase four nights a month. And they seem to have a generally good relationship, but there's obviously some stress when the lunar cycle aligns. And this makes sense because when Clara has to entrust his upbringing with other people, like her dumb landlady, Donna Amelia, who is played by Sita Moreira, 
Donna Amelia. No, no. <laughs> We're going to go to I know. pasta after this. It's going to be spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> oh, no. It's like, oh, my, oh, 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 you're going to love this. It's like the really bad Italian accent from the bad guy in the Lizzie McGuire movie. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Okay, everybody, now you have to finish your drink because Trace brought up... Paolo and Isabella. <laughs> and Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Fuck you and fuck the Lewis McGuire movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, so, yeah, Donna Amelia sucks. Yeah, you can't trust your landlady. She's not trustworthy. She feeds Joel a steak because he seems tired. So, naturally, he becomes less tired because she just fed a werewolf meat, and he also gets super aggressive. You forgot one important thing, though, because he's locked in the room, you know, during the lunar cycle. There was one really interesting trait that I don't think I've seen in a werewolf movie before, but it's where he still has a lot of hair and nails left over the next morning. Yes. So she has to shave him all over his his body and clip his nails every morning after, like, what, it's like four nights, it's like full moon, and then like two nights before, two nights after, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But really cool. I I like that little, like, addition. I also really enjoyed it. It's great because it's conveying that relationship between mother and son and how much he trusts her and how she's going to great lengths to ensure that he doesn't seem different, but also that he himself doesn't even understand how bizarre it is. Yeah. It's great. I'm actually cutting out a shit ton of stuff that is really meaningful and emotional and powerful originally because i was like no you just need to get through this plot so you can talk about the film well i say <laughs> we're really far into the episode already and we haven't finished the plot yet <laughs> but but i feel like we're touching on a lot of important things but then we're going to go more into themes maybe after the plot which maybe should be our normal structure anyway i don't know we'll change the whole podcast do we do structure because it seems like it's just lizzie mcguire references and a bunch of tangents <laughs> Paolo and Isabella Lizzie McGuire Okay (laughs) So Joel discovers a picture of Anna Among Claire's things And he is unhappy He challenges her He calls her a liar He doesn't want to believe her anymore And they seem to patch things up But then the very next day (laughs) Using information that he found Among the pictures and the other stuff Joel takes his classmate bestie Mauricio Who is played by Philippe Kenji to the mall in search of his father because he saw a sticker that referenced the mall. They hide in the mall after the mall closes. It's not Chopping Mall. It's Chopping Mall with werewolves. I say it's kind of Chopping Mall. (laughs) kind of Chopping Mall. So they stay there too long and... They get locked inside. Yeah. Mauricio's like, we're fine. We're just going to have fun. We're going to hang out. And Joel's like, I need to leave immediately too late he changes into an unconvincing cgi werewolf and he mm-hmm. eats mauricio <laughs> child death yes hey two things about this i really do like the scene when he changes because like he disappears and the camera's fixed over the food court like the tables of the food court yes. and it's kind of like jaws where the chairs around the table start moving wherever Joel Wolf has gone. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, boom, his hand comes up like right in front of the camera. And it's like, you yes. know, he climbs up on top of the table. Two, we don't see this kid die and we don't see the aftermath. We just hear about how there's blood all over the elevator. And I was like, God damn it. This kid was a piece of shit and I wanted to see him die. Oh, he wasn't that bad. He was not great. He was just like a little plump sidekick. 
Uh-huh. Okay. So yeah, he's dead. <laughs> uh, I did want to bring up a point of contention, which is that in last week's episode, you made a mention that we were in the clear for no bad CGI and only good practical effects. So oh. I feel the need to reinforce that this is not actually the case here because the CGI <laughs> is not good. Honestly, I had totally forgotten about the CGI werewolf. Like I remembered it and honestly i think it's even in my review that it looks because it do, it looks yeah it like definitely is in your review because i read it afterwards <laughs> okay good um i don't ever go back and read my reviews especially if they're older which mm-hmm. i mean it's two years ago but still because i don't like reading my writing but no. yeah the, the cgi is really bad but i think i was just remembering because the practical effects of the baby werewolf are really good that i had that stuck in my mind Yeah, because that's actually an animatronic that they built, and it does look really good. And I should clarify, the CGI does not look good, but the werewolf itself is kind of fucking adorable. Oh, it's so cute! And to the point where you're like, he's... Yeah. (laughs) No, it's cute. Okay, kid's dead. (laughs) So the kid is dead, and Joel finds his way home, but he's kind of covered in blood, and... And of course, the landlady sees him. So she flips her shit. She knows that he's a werewolf because she can see that he's still covered in hair the next morning. And she wants to call Mm -hmm. the priest. Claire is having none of that. So she drugs the landlady (laughs) and she immediately packs up all their shit. They're getting out of town. Joel does not agree with this. So he locks his mom in that spare bedroom because he's eaten a whole child. So he's quite strong. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go to this dance at school instead. Because I'm a fucking little shit. (laughs) He's he's terrible. And I get it. He's like seven years old. And he's like going into everybody's phase. And learning to like, you know, be his own person. But holy fuck. But you know what? It could have been fixed. It should have been like, look, you're a fucking werewolf. And you will kill people if you do this. Yes. Miscommunication literally kills multiple people in this film. (laughs) Talk to your parents. Talk to your lovers. Talk to everybody. Jesus Christ. Tell them you're a werewolf. It'll be okay. <laughs> Clara eventually gets freed by her co-worker, Angela, and she grabs Anna's gun. She races to the school. Joel is about to eat the little girl who has had a crush on him, Amanda. But Clara stops him by shooting him in the leg, dragging him home. This is where we get a Frankenstein homage as we literally see villagers oh. storming up to her house with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> You're gonna laugh at me though. So hey, that is it is totally a Frankenstein homage. But all I could think of was Beauty and the Beast and the Bob song. So I was like, I was half expecting them to break out into song. (laughs) What is it? Screw your courage to the sticking place. Sorry, go ahead. Wait, do you only know a couple of words, but you sang the whole melody? Oh, I mean, I know the melody. I had to like actually like start the song to like really get into it because it's like through the mist, through the woods, da na 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 it's in one exciting ride. Da na na da na na da na It was my favorite Beauty and the Beast song as a kid. Okay. I was gonna let you keep going. <laughs> I know, I know. Just fucking edit that out. <laughs> I will not, no. Villain songs are the best. But no, like I I, I legit thought that it's really nutty, but that that goes to like a fairy tale type thing, though, you know? But it Very is much. weird, because I have two big logical questions about this movie. One is, why do they just believe this girl all of a sudden? Like, yeah, she has blood all over her, but why? She's like, he's a werewolf! Who would believe this child? 
Yeah, it would have worked if a little bit more time had passed and they could have connected what happened to Mauricio to what she had just seen. But yeah, you you just take it for a grain of salt. Two, and I'm backtracking a little bit, but in the time jump, Clara has this kid that she can seemingly pass off as, oh, I found this kid. But she was working for a pregnant woman who is now dead. Yes. So. Graphically murdered. (laughs) Like, how would they, how would the trail not come back to her? Yeah, for sure. Not important, really, in in the grand scheme of things, but yeah. As soon as Anna is dead, the film, it doesn't forget about her because obviously her spirit lingers over all of the interactions that Claire is having with Joel. But at the same time, the movie doesn't want to really talk about the aftermath of Anna's actual death. And that is a problem. It is. And they also avoid any kind of racial politics that might be at play. And by avoid, I mean they don't even address it. Oh, you mean with the fact that she has a light-skinned child and she is dark-skinned? Yeah, or, like, I mean, I... Because I don't agree that this film is not addressing race and class, but not in the second half. It is addressing class. I don't necessarily agree that if it's addressing race, though, because is her blackness ever really brought up? Not explicitly, but very much so in the first... So, just to wrap up the plot summary... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The villagers literally storm her place, and it seems like they're doomed, but Clara and Joel put on a front. He's still in wolf form because they're coming at night, and they just lock hands as the door is about to be broken down. You have no idea what happens. That's how the movie ends. Well, it's important, though, because like she has him chained up, and she tries to pet him, and he tries to like snap at her, and she's also like mending his leg that she just shot. Because the movie is saying that, oh, the mob stuff isn't important. It's about the relationship between mother and child, or mother and were-child. And <laughs> so he finally lets her pet him on the head. And yes. that's when he, she starts undoing his shackles. And rather than attack her, yes, she holds her hand out. And instead of biting it, he grabs it with his paw. And they team up. And yeah, yeah. that last shot is them facing the door mm-hmm. as the mob is like about to break it down. And then, boom, cut to black. Yeah. Because it's all about them coming to grips with one another, despite the fact that they don't actually have a relationship. And they're probably about to die. Yes. Almost certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> uh, um, because it's a dark fairy tale. But yeah, so to yeah. jump back to the racial stuff, and I'm not going to take credit for this. This did come up in a bunch of different reviews that I read when I was doing some research. But the most explicit reference to race is when she first comes in to interview for the nanny position. So yeah. Anna lets her in and she's already interviewing another woman. And this woman is light skinned. She's older. She has references because she comes from an agency. And when she walks by Clara... She gives her, like, an up-down kind of look. Yeah. It could be interpreted as dismissive, but this woman more or less chastises Clara for not being the right type of woman, and then that is furthered through the way that Anna just immediately assumes that Clara can cook and she would be willing to be her housekeeper. Right. And it's because she's dark-skinned and... Anna thinks that she can take advantage of her because she doesn't have as many opportunities because she's a rich white lady and here's a dark-skinned woman who doesn't have references. That's interesting. And maybe maybe this is my privileged mindset clouding my judgment, but I didn't get that from Anna. 
of like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of her by making her do this. I mean, I guess there was that bit where she's like, oh, well, obviously, like, when the baby comes, you're going to go take care of the baby. But until then, you can be my maid. Yes. It didn't come across as, like, deceptive or trickery, though, to me. So no. maybe I was just looking at it. But that's the reason why Clara is more assertive with her in the early goings-on. And even stuff, mm. like, people mention that when they go shopping, Anna makes Clara carry her bag after she buys the shoes. Right. That makes sense. So there's all these very subtle visual inferences that if you're not looking for it, you would just think, oh, okay, well, she's paying her to do this job and this is what she's doing. There's a hint that Anna is trying to take advantage by asking her to do all these things around the house that it's like, well, it's not really proper because you said you were hiring a nanny, but suddenly now you're talking about housekeeping, but it's easy to miss. I think what I was really trying to hone in on, though, with, like, not really utilizing the race, or her, I guess, her being black more, is there's a rich white lady that was just killed, and she had a black nanny, or black nanny, um, a black employee, whatever you want to call her, slash lover, though, I guess, but they didn't seem to be open about their affair. No. And, yeah, she disappears with a baby. And I get that's not the, the story the movie's trying to tell, because it very much seems to be, like, not a harmonious world that they're living in, but, like, that's not an issue. But I feel like that, that could have been an interesting, like, thing to bring up. Like, the cops are like, well, where'd the black girl go? Right. Well, I think the film's priority is more of a class critique than it is a race critique. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. class stuff are quite a bit more obvious. There's a lot of discussions about money, about how Clara doesn't have anything, the way that her landlord lords it over her. So there's scenes early on where she goes into her house to pack. And it was funny in my notes, I was like, oh, wow, she doesn't have a lot of clothes. And then it's revealed that the landlady has actually gone into her unit, taken out all of this stuff because she's doing it in exchange for withheld rent. Yes. Well, <laughs> I know it seems like I'm just like trying to like move on past this. It's not at all. But I mean, like, I don't know what else to add to that because you're, you're right. I did love the touch of, yeah, holding onto her microwave, though. That was really funny. Yeah, I feared for that cat, the landlady's cat, who thankfully does not end up getting eaten. But uh... Chekhov's cat, man. Yeah. There is some funny stuff with money, though, in this film. It's, again, it's interesting. The dreaded word. The dreaded word. I appreciated the fact that Anna is revealed to actually be a deeper character than we're initially led to believe that she's not just a vapid socialite, but she's actually, she's having financial problems as well. I love the scene where they're bonding and they're picking off the diamonds from her boots so that they can then Mm -hmm. pawn them. (laughs) I agree. And I I don't think this, I missed Anna in the second half of this movie because I really enjoyed their relationship. And yeah, I liked watching them bond. And even the scene when Clara tells Anna about the sleepwalking, I just wanted more of that. It's like a werewolf pregnant lesbian bound almost. Yes. And yeah, I, I when Anna dies, it's sad because you're just like, oh my God, their love is done. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I hate that fucking kid too. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as the werewolf actually enters the story and yes, you know, we get visual signifiers where Anna has bright yellow eyes when she's sleepwalking during the lunar cycle. She never fully transforms. It's just the werewolf, I guess, leaking out of the child and the fetus and infecting her by proxy. 
Well, and interestingly enough, too, because whenever the lunar cycle happens, I think at any stage in her pregnancy, is when she starts craving meat and shit. So, going back to this being a pro-life movie, this is also establishing that life does... Not establishing, obviously, like, you know, whatever. But, like, life is from the moment of conception. I do not care for this reading. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that's really what's on the movie's mind, but that's kind of... Well, I mean, I guess because the first time we see Anna go for the meat, I guess is probably, I want to say it's five months into pregnancy. She's later into the pregnancy for sure. So I don't know that we could make the argument it's at birth, but there's clearly a link between a fetus in development and a mother. I guess that's true. So we don't know if she's been having these reactions every month since she got pregnant because we are introduced to her. Or at least the earliest note I have is when the first doctor's trip, she's 20 weeks in, which is five months. Right. So, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I believe the deadline for abortion is the end of the first trimester. Yeah, 12 weeks. Yeah, okay. Well, then never mind. Ignore that reading. Okay. <laughs> I bet the film deliberately did that then, to make it like five months in, so it was like, cool. It's a baby inside of her. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to get into abortion politics here, so it's fine. Let's not, because we actually struck a film off of this because we did not want to deal with that topic. But what film was that? Red Christmas. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that wasn't why I cut it out, but I just didn't want to talk about it in the movie. Also, to be fair, we were going to cover this movie months ago, but we yes. pushed it back for some... I think because you couldn't find I it. I couldn't get it. Yes, there you go. So... Can we touch on the reactions that people have between the two films? Because I feel like that's the big polarizing issue with this film. And it's one of the things that surprises me the most about the Metacritic and the Rotten Tomato scores. Okay, yeah, sure. Did they not like The Division? So not a ton of people specifically reference the fact that it feels like it's two different films, but I do feel like when people were scoring this and talking about the film and even exploring the themes, talking about the acting, it makes sense because they're trying not to give away elements that happen in the plot, you know, an hour and 20 minutes in. But everyone only talked about Clara and Anna and their relationship and the sexual undertones and the race politics, the class politics. So to me, it kind of feels like people are far more interested in what's happening in the beginning. And then there was one very critical review that said that the film falls apart as soon as the werewolf genre elements are introduced more explicitly. Well, I don't agree with that, that. but I, I do agree, though, that yeah. Everything pre-Joel is the strongest part of the film for me. Now, I still love this film. I mean, this is, I think I said already, a four and a half out of five. But I get it. Well, also because all the themes that you have in the first half are dropped. And then <laughs> yeah, new they're themes... kind of exploded. <laughs> yeah, and because the second half is interested, A, in the werewolf stuff. B, the bond between mother and child. And also adoptive yeah. mother and child. Mm-hmm. It basically changes from a romance film to then the implications of that romance slash mothering. No, I think you can call it the, it's two different love stories. You have a romantic love and then a motherly love, but all from Clara's point of view. Yes, because at the end of the day, it was very interesting to see the number of people who talked about this film as though there are two protagonists, when it's very clear in my mind that this is Clara's movie. She is 100% the focal point of everything that happens in this film. Mm -hmm. But you you don't know that 
if you're watching this for the first time, you you think it's them too, Anna and Clara, they're co-leads, but then it pull the movie pulls the rug out from under you. And yes. whether that works for you or not, given the remaining hour and like five or ten minutes you have of this movie, I don't know. I will say that that, that, that second half because you keep thinking that it's you know shorter. The second half does feel shorter than the first half, but it is it pretty does. much half of the movie. Yeah, it's very odd because. When you look at the runtime, that second half feels flabby. It feels mm-hmm. like it could have been edited down. It feels like we don't need quite as much of the Joel being difficult. Oh, we have to, we have to keep secrets from him. I mean, it's all meaningful, and it's all leading up to this act of rebellion, which gets people killed, which brings the villagers to the doorstep and the danger looming. It all serves a purpose, but it does... Yeah, it feels a little bit flabby, but I don't feel that way in the first half because I never quite know where the film is going, which I think even you said when you were your first began this conversation, you said, I just have no idea where this film is headed. Yeah. And there's something about that mystery that does get lost. Like we implicitly understand as an audience, the minute that the movie flashes forward and she's there with that child we know what the implications are. She's locking that kid up. She's keeping him protected. Yes. I also wanted to bring up... So, hey, two things. Uh, You had mentioned in our discussions offline how she gets femmed up after the time jump. Yes. I also wanted to even bring up... So, the lesbianism in the film. Mm Because Anna seems most interested in Clara during her lunar cycle moments. For sure. Which implies, then, that she might not even really have feelings for her, or maybe it's the animalistic instincts that are bringing out her true sexual nature. Or it's just the male werewolf inside of her, like, clamoring for female body. I don't know. Ew, no, don't go to that reading, because that means, then, that there's a sexual relationship. (laughs) No, no. Why are you bringing up all of these terrible things into the podcast? I don't know. I'm just just shooting things out (laughs) in in the air. I did want to point out, though, so we got critiqued in our audition episode for not having a female in an episode that's about female sexuality. I did want to let everyone know, if you're listening, we were going to have a female guest on this episode, but she had to drop out at the last minute. So it's just us. So if we are giving a weird, not weird, but maybe a not completely insightful view of female sexuality, that wasn't our intention. No, and it's a fair critique, but it's a show with two cis white gay guys and we're always pretty clear that we're speaking from hopefully an informed perspective but it is still only our perspectives it's one of the reasons we try to bring on a lot of guests but also there's going to be weeks where we talk about lesbians and women's issues and race issues and we're not going to get everything 100% right but that's part of the reason why I don't know about you Trace I'm speaking for both of us yeah I feel like I look at this podcast as a dialogue so if we're not getting things right if people have other readings that's why we have Twitter that's why we have a Facebook group we encourage people I mean please don't be dicks about it but a hundred percent we want to hear from you and your perspectives like we are presenting a reading and it is obviously filtered through our perspectives so if that doesn't sit well with you come at us with a conversation like let's have a talk about it yeah because i'm always interested to learn more things yeah all right so to come back to the femme and the lesbianism Mm -hmm. let's tackle the lesbianism stuff first because 
this film was immediately categorized as an LGBTQ film as a result of the relationship between Anna and Clara. Mm. I'm actually more inclined to agree with your reading. There's obviously a flirtation between them, but when Anna's not on her lunar cycle... Yeah. Ew. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. <laughs> I always think about moon bike. What's a moon bike? That's a copycat reference. Uh, God, I gotta watch that movie again. We gotta do that movie. Man. I've seen copycat a lot, but yeah, there's a part where the, the guy calls in. And, oh, oh no, because the sort of weaver calls in, and she mentions how the killers on a lunar cycle, and when like they're fucking with Holly Hunter, they're and she like, writes down, and she's like, "I'm interested in what you have to say about the moon bike." <laughs> Jesus. Men are dicks. I love that that movie is basically Silence of the Lambs light. Yeah. So With like a secret, les- <laughs> I mean, not really a lesbian relationship, but it's basically a lesbian relationship. Oh my God. Those two are so lesbian <laughs> for each other and I fucking love it's it. It's such a good movie. Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter. Like, yes, yes, yes. yes. If you've never seen it, see it or just wait until we cover it because we'll cover it one day. Oh my God. Yes. A hundred percent. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But yeah. I okay. So coming back, back to this, this. <laughs> I do get the impression that obviously there's something hormonal, there's something more amped up and more animalistic about her urges. So it's meat, it's for sex, it's for contact. Right. There is still a flirtatious vibe that's happening between the two of them at other times. But then there's the class and the race stuff trickling in and making it a bit icky. Like I'm thinking of Anna's birthday where she's drunk (laughs) oh but i love that scene it's great but you're just like oh anna you're a bad mom but then she sits on claire's lap and wants to take a picture with her and it feels not just awkward and uncomfortable but if you do look at it through this lens of this is an employer and her employee that there's icky financial gaps in between the relationship and also the fact that anna doesn't really know anything about Clara and she's kind of using her as a prop to get back at her estranged family because it's her birthday. Mm -hmm. It's gross. But you could also just look at it as like, oh, hey, it's a girl sitting on another girl's lap and they're being a little flirty and having a bit of fun with some drinks. So so Anna is more into Clara when she's inebriated, be it by alcohol Mm -hmm. or by the lunar cycle and the her of her werewolf baby. Yes. But we've also seen a bunch of coming out narratives where people don't know how to express their sexuality and it comes out when they're inebriated, when they are more hormonal. I think you could read it either way, and they both make for very interesting readings. Because in the film does establish early on that Clara is definitely a lesbian because she has that exchange with the woman in the bar who is flirting with her. The woman who works at the mall. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I love that scene because I feel like it tells us so much about who Clara is. It does. Because she's so unwilling to engage with Gilda. (laughs) Well, she's so closed off. And also, because Clara is constantly giving and giving and giving and giving and giving in this movie. And I think it's most embodied in the scene 
uh, I mean, really from the beginning, but the one scene where I was like, God damn, is when she cuts her hand and bleeds in the spaghetti that she's cooking for Anna. Right? You're like, no, you don't have to give her your blood. Yeah. And like, you could be like, oh, maybe she's just testing it. But no, that bitch knows what's going on. So yeah, I'm just like, oh girl, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I would not do that. <laughs> oh, you mean you're not constantly feeding your husband your blood when you're making dinner? If he turns into a werewolf, I mean, I guess maybe. But like this person I just fucking met that I'm working for, like, no, 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 no. Well, okay. So here's an interesting question. We talked about Anna's reasons for her attraction potential Mm -hmm. do you think that clara has feelings for anna or is she just responding to what she's seeing i think she has feelings for her i definitely do but i think because she's so closed off i feel like clara was either hurt in the past or maybe just because she is a lesbian and she grew up a lesbian in brazil which i don't know what that experience is like uh watch gaycation and you will get a really good sense of what it's like and it ain't fucking pretty okay so there is that. So I'm. That's also probably why she's so closed off. Yeah. Which, if you're a listener and you're in Brazil, like, let us know. Oh my god. Mm. I don't know if I want to go watch. It. I mean, I'll watch Vacation one day. It's really good. It's Ellen Page. I know. I know what it is. It's just like, well, it's like <laughs> ugh, it just sounds depressing. But whatever. So oh my god. Whatever. 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 God damn it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our new podcast, whatever, whatever. But that might be like a cultural thing where it's like, okay, if you if you live there and you're watching this in Brazil, you know why Clara is the way she is. So that might be something that is like doesn't like, it's just like a cultural divide that we're not aware of. But although you are, so that's probably why she's so closed off. I I do think she has an attraction, but she's afraid to be too open with it. I do wonder if there's a missed opportunity in that second half when she has Joel. There's Mm -hmm. never a conversation about, but aren't you a lesbian? How did you get this child? Well, unless no one knows. And that could also be why she fims up, though, to blend in and look more like a quote-unquote normal woman. She's got mom hair. Yeah, she has mom hair. I joke because... Okay, this is where we start to get into nomenclature that could get people mad at us. Arguably, in the early part of the film, Clara looks more butch. She has hair, but it's rather short hair, Mm -hmm. and she has a very strong, striking face. So the lack of hair really emphasizes her bone structure and her facial expression. I would say her bone structure is very defined in her skull. Yes. Isabel Zua is gorgeous i love how emotive she is in this film yeah but there's obviously a very deliberate decision to give her different hair and i'm not convinced that it's just to say look it's been a passage of time of seven years it is a shorthand i'm actually one of those people my trademark in film school was being the hair guy because other people would be commenting on mise-en-scene and costuming and i'd be like no that person just got a haircut they're going through something their mental state is totally fucked up jesus christ think about it okay so i'm gonna use a buffy reference here remember in season six Mm -hmm. where she's going through all of that shit and and then the episode where she becomes invisible she cuts her hair and it's basically a cry for help the reason that she cuts her hair is because she needs to be a different person. She needs to feel something. She needs to have people looking at her differently. So when you see people change their hair, even if it's something simple like up to down, right, it always means something. Or they dye it a horrible color. 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, I get that, but I, I feel like that's coming from a personal experience from you. You clearly done something with your hair when you were, like, depressed, right? <laughs> oh, let me tell you about the reactions that I got when I shaved my head for cancer charity. That was a fun summer. Oh, God. I got called a white supremacist at my job. <laughs> Oh my god. I don't I don't have the skull for baldness, but I have a receding hairline, so I'm probably gonna go bald one day, which is really not fun because yeah, I don't I don't like my skull. But it's fine. But no, I, I get what you're you saying. You and me, man, we're gonna join the hat club when we I get know. Not that there's anything wrong with baldness, I'm just saying that I don't think yeah, that if my you don't skull... have the head shape for it. Yes. I, yeah, I don't have a nice spherical head. I think I have a weird shaped head, but it's fine. So she has a lovely head. She does. But nevertheless, the film doesn't make any kind of commentary on it. It is very much like, oh, it's a passage of time. Her hair grew out over seven years. <laughs> yeah. I do think, though, if you're looking at it like, oh, she needs to blend in to make as few waves as possible in society, yes. then it makes sense that she would try to look more like a, again, I'm using quotation marks, typical feminine woman. Yeah. Now, the film doesn't make any kind of mention of that. So I'm just blowing on my ass here. But No, but when we look at the hairstyles that the other women have, none of the rest of them had short hair the yeah. way that she does in the first part of the film. Mm -hmm. It's meaningful, man. Hairology. Okay. <laughs> so what other kinds of things? You had mentioned earlier that you had themes. We've talked a little bit about lesbianism and motherhood are there other things i mean it's kind of the mo well i guess we haven't really talked about this fucking kid right the kid is adorable he, no he is until he starts getting wise ass <laughs> i'm a big pro spanker despite not having children myself but i was spanked as a kid not beat i was spanked and i'm very much like you fucking spank that kid if he's talking back to, I mean, but also though, she could have just said, "You're," I, I'm beating a dead horse. You're a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> so this is another fascinating creative decision, right? Mm -hmm. There was obviously a deliberate decision made to say we're going to jump ahead seven years, not five, not ten, not fifteen, right? right? Arguably, it makes sense because at age seven, he's too old to be homeschooled or sort of kept in the house and away from other people. Well, hold on, though. People are homeschooled sometimes through high school. So let's <laughs> let, let, that's that's no. Oh, no. I meant the vast majority of people yeah. at age five, at age six, they're going to go out to schools. That's what I meant. Gotcha. I know many people who have been homeschooled. Many of them are lovely. <laughs> I have I have a gay friend. I have gay friends. <laughs> I have a homeschooled friend, and she's totally normal. <laughs> Hi, Emily. Oh, my God. She'll never listen to this. Okay. But, yeah, so Seven is also at such a young age that the argument could be made that she wouldn't be able to tell him, hey, you're a monster who's going to kill people if I give you meat or let you out on these four days. Mm -hmm. He clearly has an understanding that there's a reason that she has to do something, but when he starts to flip out, it seems pretty clear that she has not done a good job of explaining. She's just kind of like, yeah, so we're just going to chain you up. Has she told him that other kids don't get this treatment or like no. you don't have to give them a full body shave? Well, yeah, that's that. Mm, the film does not explain that. It's like a deliberate omittal. No. Omittance? Yes. Omission. Oh my God. A deliberate omission. <laughs> Fuck. All of these words sound so sexual. I know. 
again, seven, you're right, it's an intentional age, because I feel like that is kind of the age where you might start to think my parents aren't always right. Yeah. But, man, he sucks. <laughs> yeah, if you are not a fan of children, this one is not going to win you over, despite how adorable he is. I realize that as someone who is never going to have kids and doesn't particularly care for kids, they always say, like, you know, because like, if a woman gets pregnant, you know, and, like, she's, like, has never wanted kids but you know she's she has a kid you know it's gonna change you you know you're you know like right then and there or days down the road months down the road like you'll figure it out that child will become like you know what you want to take care of and you'll do anything to save that child do anything for that child right neither one of us have that need right now because we don't have children so i'm interested to see if we have any parents out there if you're in that situation <laughs> that very mm. specific situation do you understand Clara's motivations for withholding information? I totally get the shaving. I totally get the nail clipping. I totally get trying to protect him from the world. But the lack of communication. And maybe it's because she thought that he wasn't mature enough, which I think is definitely an issue there. Yeah. Oh, he's going to go and tell people, by the way, I'm a werewolf. But I don't know. I just... It's frustrating. It is. And it feels distinctively human in frustrating ways. I had the exact same reaction as you did. And some of the big things that came to mind was like, why isn't she reacting in the ways that I think she should react? And part of that is she's flawed, right? Well, and she's also, she's thinking like, it's not his fault. It's not his yeah. fault that he's like this and he doesn't know that he's like this. That's empathy that I lack. <laughs> <laughs> Again, see that Patreon minisode where Trace revealed a not alarmingly low score, but... <laughs> You're not on the higher I'm end. I'm not on the higher end of empathy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas I am the most empathetic person that you will ever meet in your life. I think you bullshit some of those answers, but that's just me. I have been known to game the system yeah. occasionally. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's a choice, and I clearly it doesn't hurt the movie to me because I'm, I love this movie. But yeah. I feel so bad for Clara for most of this movie. Oh, yeah. It's very unfortunate. Yeah, I wasn't trying to be facetious when I said that it feels like a frickin' tragedy watching this woman take on all this responsibility mm -hmm. and all of these problems and just having her life go to shit. I was being really serious because not only is the actress doing such a good job of conveying this, she's doing it quite silently. Yeah. She doesn't have it's a lot of, a lot of spoken dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> but her life is so small. That was the thing that got me. She opens the film financially destitute. She's hustling. She's trying to make something happen. She gets into this position where you think her life is going to change for the better because she's hooked up with this rich bitch pregnant lady. And that just turns her life into absolute garbage. Because on the other end of the spectrum, she's suddenly saddled with this werewolf child and she can't go out for drinks with colleagues. She can't let this child have a birthday party. But you say garbage, whereas someone else might say, oh my God, it's a gift. She was brought into this woman's life to save right. this child and to raise it as normally as possible. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that this film does so successfully is help you to understand that there is so much love and affection between a mother and a child. Yes. That's what gets you through the second half, because you can see it is a slow motion car wreck. Like, things are not going to end well for Clara or Joel the minute that he starts rebelling, which I think is the other 
frustrating thing because you see it could be changed, but because she won't communicate, but because he's a child. <laughs> right. Like, it's not going to go well, but you want it to go well because they're kind of adorable. She's so sweet. They both deserve better. And this film doesn't even give you that at the end of it. You're just left nope. with, okay, well, they're a unified front, but they're probably going to die. <laughs> I know. And that's the fact, because like, I do think the movie actually is a little too long. Like, do we really need the three minute long singing duet between Clara and Amelia? Probably not. Very odd. If, yeah. Yeah. That was the kind of thing where I'm like, are we missing a cultural context here? Because I love a good musical, but this is. Odd. That's where I think that your Disney fairy tale is coming in. Right. Because again, a lot of those Disney music movies only had like two or three songs. And there is a bit of singing too between Anna and Clara in the beginning with like the music box. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was like, considered like a payoff or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's a little too long. But again, even still when it ended, I was like, oh, I kind of want to see what happens. <laughs> right. It's true. Speaking of music, I do like that the song that Anna listens to on the radio and then Clara listens to to remind her of Anna, the lyrics are so hilariously on the nose. <laughs> Did you pay attention oh, yeah. to this? It's like, you were bit... meant to fall in love with me, honey, I warned yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it fits, right? Like, the messaging is there. <laughs> but that's, but again, like, looking at this at the lens through a fairy tale, mm-hmm. that totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> this one's for the kids in the back, just in case you couldn't figure it out. <laughs> for the little children that are going to watch this movie <laughs> with this yeah. graphic lesbian sex scene. <laughs> yes, I give this movie four fingers. Or a whole fist. Okay. So, so <laughs> do we want to wrap this up? Yes. Do you have any final thoughts before we get to the game? No. I like it a lot. I think this is a great movie and I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah, I'm happy that I was finally able to track it down. So I got to watch a physical copy of this because I could only get a DVD. So thank you to my friend Valeska from Anatomy of a Scream for loaning me her copy. But this is the kind of little horror gem that people talk about at festivals that get lost in the mix because people are focused on Halloween and Knives Out and the new Joker movie. As we live in a world of corporate conglomeracy where Disney and Marvel seemingly own everything, keep an eye out for stuff like Good Manners because these are the heartfelt films. Ooh, actually, side plug, you and I are not quite as high on this as other people, but there is a really great film called Tigers Mm. Are Not Afraid that is about to come out, finally making its theatrical debut. Yeah. I would actually compare this film to that film. They're both kind of dark fairy tales. I think that one's set in Mexico, right? It is, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's um, director Isa Lopez. Yep. It's a good film. Yeah, same as you. I'm not in love with it, but I like it a lot. But it's a very much, it's a a kid's fairy tale, but like set Mm -hmm. in the world of... Street gangs. And like Mexican cartels? Mm -hmm. Is it cartels? Yeah. There's drug stuff going on. Yeah. 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 Same kind of deal with this, where it's not quite a horror film, but there's a lot of horrific elements to it. Yeah focusing on children in plight so if that's not your thing this may not be the best recommendation but yeah that film this film both good stuff for me this is probably i think i marked it as a three initially but it's probably a three and a half it's the pacing in the second half gets to me a little bit 
I get that. I prefer this to Tigers Are Not Afraid, because Tigers Are Not Afraid for me was a three and a half, whereas this one is a four and a half. Okay. So ready for the game? Ready for the game. Okay, so you have mentioned it several times tonight. Lizzie McGuire? Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck your mother. (sighs) Podcast over. (laughs) Okay, what is it? Come on. You have mentioned repeatedly that you are not a parent person. You do not have ambitions to have a child. Yeah. I'm going to make you go there. (laughs) Oh, God. So this film is about raising a werewolf and all of the baggage that comes with that. Your game is to tell me which monster you would parent and why. Oof, I know it. I want to parent the Gill Man from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay, and why? Because it's just so cute, and it's a water animal, and I want to like teach it to swim, and I want to have an aquarium that I can just keep it in. Haven't you seen Splash with Daryl Hannah? That doesn't end well. It gets too big. People want to take it away. It can't run. Or you could even argue uh, The Shape of Water. But yes, I've seen both of those movies. Right. Actually, Shape of Water would be a better comparison. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> uh, no, Splash, Splash was a mainstay of my childhood. Fucking Eugene Levy, like, when he has her in the aquarium and then like, her scales are coming off. Ooh. Uh, it's shocking. I definitely had a crush on Daryl Hannah, for sure. I used to cry every time when she was in the, the restaurant and he comes with a water hose and sprays her in the restaurant and then, like, her oh, tail comes out. It's so Ugh. brutal. I would cry every time. <laughs> Oh, this is your history of public shaming that you don't like, too. Yes, I'm not into public shaming. It makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> but yeah, so Creature of the Black Lagoon, like, totally. The Gill Man, like, I just think it'd be fun to raise it. Because it's also an animal. It's like a little fish, but like a fish human. And he can, like, make faces at you and shit. <laughs> okay. What about you? Who's your, who, what's your monster? I would go with a baby vampire. And not just because Mm -hmm. I just watched Grace, which is about a baby who needs blood to survive, but I would be a parental Dexter, and I would be tracking down rapists and murderers and cartel people, and I'd be cleaning the streets and feeding those fuckers to my little baby vampire. Okay. (laughs) That sounds fun. Yeah, my, my parental love would be demonstrated in murder and blood. Wait, how did I score on that empathy quiz again? I think, I think mine's a lot easier. Yeah, mine's Yours involves easier. less work. Yours involves having an above-ground pool. <laughs> well, I also have to clean it, which is probably not going to be fun, but it's definitely less bloodshed. Yes. <laughs> All right. So can we go into housekeeping then? Yes. Let's move on. So before we announce what we're covering next week, if you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me at Trace Thurman. And I am at BStormMyRemote. That's the letter B. And if you're tweeting about us, please be sure to use the hashtag HorrorQueers in your tweets. You can also email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page. Also, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. It's really easy. We haven't had one in a while, too. Like, where are y'all at? Where are them reviews at? I don't know. We're doing okay, but it's not, you know, we could do better. We could always do better. Strive <laughs> to be better. Uh, if you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes covering recent horror films, like 47 Meters Down, Uncaged, and, um, Mm. next week we'll actually have an episode ready to drop on Ready or Not, which I heard is quite amazing. So excited. Joe, what are we covering next week? 
So, we have reached the end of Femme Fatale Month. We're going to wrap things up with a, a vacation down under. That was my attempt to go back to Australia, and it did not. I think that was very good. Well, thankfully, we're going to have an Australian, as well as an American, on the podcast to join us for our first 4G trace. And we're going to be talking about the loved ones. Woo! And this actually really fits Femme Fatale Month because (laughs) the Femme Fatale in that movie is a crazy bitch. She is a super crazy bitch. It's an amazing film. I think people are really going to dig it if they haven't had a chance to check it out. And this is another one of those kind of little gems that may have fallen through the cracks. It's um, also a lot shorter. It's like 84 minutes. So it's a blessed reprieve from the length of good manners. It is an Amazon <laughs> Prime in the States streaming. I want to say two ninety nine, maybe three ninety nine, and directed by Sean Byrne, who maybe y'all haven't seen it, but he also directed this really good Ethan Embry movie called The Devil's Candy. So um, this is his debut feature. Seek it out. It's great. Yeah, he's two for two. All right. Well, uh, I guess we can go ahead and cross out good manners. Yes, and cross out horror queers. This episode was brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, delivering your weekly horror podcast fix. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network.